0: Hebrews chapter 11, again, as Adam read, so you can turn there if you haven't turned there yet. If you're new with us, I typically start my sermons this way. You're probably going to hear some kids throughout the service. That's fine. We all hear them. We love the kids. We love those who work with the kids. They're right on the other side of this wall, and occasionally we hear from them, and that's fine. Don't, don't get nervous about it, but don't stop listening either. you got to keep listening. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, last week we look together at what it means to die in faith. As we looked at a few characters, mainly Abraham and Sarah, and we looked at what it means to die in faith. We've had our journey now through Hebrews chapter, well, really all of Hebrews for a while. We've seen some themes emerge. For some of this will be a little bit of review. We've seen these themes of, of warnings and promises weaving together in and out in the midst of all the warnings and all the promises, we're left with this, to consider Christ. To look to Christ, that He is greater, that He is superior. He is greater than any problem that you're going through. He is greater than any prophet, any priest, any king that has come before. His, tre- his treasure, His home awaiting us is more to be valued than anything here. So we've been told to consider Jesus Christ and that we would consider Him in order that our faith might endure, and that our faith might make it to the end. And in Hebrews chapter 3, as it, these warnings are beginning to be introduced to us, it's told to us in that, in that chapter that our, our faith that is genuine is a faith that endures to the end. And it talks about right now, you are of the household of faith, if indeed in the end your confidence is holding fast. To have the idea that your faith is genuine now, it's real right now, And we know that because in the end you're still believing. Faith that endures. And so as we've seen this theme grow and then we've come to Hebrews chapter 10 and and we look, okay, now consider Jesus Christ once more as this perfect sacrifice and then that should lead us to drawing near to God, to holding fast to God, to considering others. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 11 and how do we handle it then? Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that Adam, Adam set up for us a few weeks ago and that is that this is written here in order that you might endure. You have need of endurance, the end of chapter 10 tells us. You have need that your faith will endure. As you come to chapter 12, we see the goal, the verse, first two verses, the goal of chapter 11. says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. And so we have this call that we we need to endure. And we've considered Jesus Christ, and once again, the writer has told us, you have need of endurance, and now Hebrews chapter 11 serves to help us endure to the end, that we can die in faith. As we saw Abraham and Sarah, and as these others are commended, that in the end they died in faith. So Hebrews 11 is more than just a list of all like, the best people in the Bible and we get to look at them and try to be like them. It, that's not what's happening here. What we see is we consider once more Jesus Christ through and in the life of these folks. We see God being faithful to his promises and we see God's people believing the promises of God all the way to death. By doing that, we can lay aside every weight. We can be strengthened that we might endure by considering once more the work of Jesus Christ. One more word of introduction before we we jump into it. Again, I think Adam labored a a few weeks ago to make this point, but the the people here in Hebrews 11, these aren't just like, like robots here. It's not like a special type of people called Bible characters, as if, you know, they kind of, They put on their, you know, you can see my Sunday school coming out here. They put on their white robe, and then like a red or blue kind of sash over top of it, their leather sandals, grow some long hair and a beard, and now I'm a Bible character. And they live kind of this like life that's just a play for us, and that's it. As if they're unrelatable to us, as if they don't face real fears and frustrations and ups and downs, as if... They would stand here before you and say, you know, be exactly like me. I'm a Bible character. These are real people that we relate to in real ways who were given promises by God and had to believe those promises in the face of real obstacles, who had real faults. And in times, their faith is a a terrible Time their obedience is lacking. God works in and through them so that we relate then in the same way as not, okay, try to be like a Bible character. it's "No, we serve the same God. who's made these same promises. We wait these promises. We get a glimpse into how to die in faith, and today we 'll look at the life of faith we get a glimpse into what the life of faith looks like. What is required of us and what we can expect in this life of faith. If faith were just a simple one, two, three step process, then we would just have a handbook in Hebrews of here's faith. But instead, we see it as God works it out in his people. Much of the Old Testament, much of the Bible is written that way in a narrative form. It's not just like one proposition of here's God is, here's what you must do, and here's what you can't do. But it's God being brought to us and th- through this mosaic of this beautiful picture of how God interacts and God moves and God accomplishes his will and his work through Jesus Christ in his people for his glory. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 11. This passage is going to work out a little differently it was an odd passage for me as I studied it. It's a little, a little different. So what we're going to do is just, I'm going to just take a few minutes and simply recap some of these crisis moments or these stories that are recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 11, just to become a bit familiar with them. And then I'm just going to make simply four observations after we're done with that. Observations that we can see what's required of us and what can we expect living the life of faith so that we have a better idea, not some sort of false notion in what living a life of faith really is. All right, so the one we kind of hit last week, but we'll recap it for just a moment, is Abraham and Isaac. You see that in those first verses there, 17 through 19. Abraham and Isaac is referring to the story in Genesis chapter 2, where Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. They kind of laugh about it because they're old at this point. Sarah, even when she was of age, couldn't have children. Now she's way past that age. And God promises them a son. And then God miraculously fulfills his promise. And so much of the promises to Abraham and his inheritance rest on this idea of of Isaac, the son. And so now Isaac, we're not sure exactly how old he is. Now you have Isaac and Abraham. God commands Abraham, go and take your son, And offer him as a sacrifice to me. And it just, Genesis 22 says, and Abraham went. So they take this three-day journey. They go out. Isaac is carrying the, the, the bundle of wood, the stuff to help prepare the altar. He asks his dad, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide. They get out there. Three days journey in. They get to the location. Isaac is the sacrifice build the altar, Isaac lays there to the point where Abraham is now lifting that knife, ready to offer his son. And at the very last moment, the angel stays his hand, a ram is in the thicket. And they're the sacrifice. And Abraham is and Abraham's commended here by faith, Abraham is going to offer Isaac. By faith, believing. It says here that Abraham thought he would raise him from the dead, maybe. And the author says, in a, in a way, that did take place, and that the Lord did preserve him. So then we have this kind of gigantic story. And for me, that's like, yes, that's an easy crisis moment to look at Abraham and say, wow, that was real faith. Then we come to the next one, maybe not quite as familiar, in verse 20. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. This story is a bit convoluted as you get into it. What you have is you have Isaac, and with Rebekah they have two sons, and the oldest is Esau, and Jacob is the younger. And God reveals to Rebekah in this dream that the younger, that it's Jacob who is going to receive the blessing from the Lord. But Isaac has like this favoritism for Esau. The way it describes it, I feel, you know, he's kind of like the hunter, manly man. And Isaac has a soft spot. And so he is going to bless Esau instead. Rebecca, he seems, she seems to like Jacob more. And so Isaac, disobeying, Rebecca decides, okay, gets with Jacob. And they come up devise this plan to trick Isaac. They lie to him and make it appear, uh, they kind of disguise Jacob to look like Esau, make it appear that, that Isaac is blessing Esau when it's actually Jacob. And then, of course, Esau is mad. So you have this story, and you, for me, I read it in here and think, okay, I, I don't understand exactly why we're saying by faith Isaac bestowed his blessing on Jacob and Esau. I mean, this is a story of all kinds of, like, favoritism and some deception and anger and a lot of messed up bad stuff going on. But somewhere in the midst of all of it, Jacob, by faith, accepted the plan of God. He blessed, or Isaac, sorry, accepted by faith the plan of God. He blessed Jacob, it says later on, a few chapters later, he blessed Esau as well. So we're given this story now, another picture of living by faith, continue on now we get to jacob blessing joseph's sons ephraim and manassas in verse 21 by faith jacob when dying blessed each of the sons of joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff so you have jacob who loses his favorite son joseph when his brothers lie to him they lie to Jacob that he's dead, and they sell him into slavery, and Joseph is gone for this long period of time in Egypt, and now famine has overtaking the land, and Jacob sends his sons, and they have this amazing providential reuniting with Joseph. You see how God is caring for his people through this situation with Joseph. They come back, and they tell Jacob of it now Jacob travels and they all end up in the land of Egypt here and at his dying now he's been reunited with Joseph and he blesses these sons of Joseph and again you see something interesting as tradition would have the culture would have it you bless the oldest son but he with Ephraim and Manasseh he switches his arms up it says to cross them and he blesses the younger of the two with this special blessing and he worships God as he dies Then we have just a snippet of Joseph. I found this one interesting. Verse twenty-two says, "By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones." Again, the author of Hebrews—he knows his Old Testament. I mean, Hebrews is packed with it. There's a big chunk of Genesis dedicated to Joseph. When you think of someone who lived by faith, I can think of lots of stories of Joseph that I think I would include these. I mean, you could—he could take up a big chunk. Of Hebrews 11. And yet the one mention is is that at the end of his life, he told the people where to bring his bones. So here's Joseph sold into slavery, spends his whole life in Egypt, grows up in the palace, becomes a man of of wealth and success and leadership in Egypt, again, through God's providence. In the end, he's still awaiting the promise, as we looked at last week. He died awaiting the promise, and he believed that God would bring it about. Then we move on to Moses. Again, so let me recap these, and we'll just make the observations. Again, why is the writer picking these specific, particular events? There's a reason for it. It's not just nonsense. There's a reason why he picked these. We come then to Moses, and we see kind of four crisis points in Moses' life. Verse 23 is the birth of Moses. It says by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So at this point in the story, if you're unfamiliar, we're now moving from Genesis into Exodus. Moses is born. At that time, he's born at a time when the nation of of, of the Hebrew children is growing, and but they're in slavery in Egypt. They've gone from being treated nicely to being treated terribly. Pharaoh's trying to control the population now of this growing Hebrew nation that's within Egypt. So he sends forth an edict, a law, that the sons will be killed. All the Hebrew women who have sons, the sons will be killed. And so the faith that we see here is not so much Moses, but his parents' faith. Taking their own lives, risking their own lives to save Moses. They hide him for three months. They disobey, not fearing the king. Verses 24 through 26, kind of really the heart of the passage. Here it's not so much a moment in time. But you see Moses make a defining decision in his life that will really direct the rest of his life. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That's exactly what we went over last week. They died awaiting the promise, something better to come. Exiles on this land, waiting their real home. He considered the reward of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see this decision, and this is going to direct then the rest of the story, the rest of the decisions that Moses will make going forward, this defining moment by faith in his life to identify with the people of God instead of choosing the pleasures of this earth. The next one to me is very interesting. Verse 27 says, By faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, there's a little debate about what this is referring to, but chronologically, in the way it is set up, it, it really seems like it's referring to the story of Moses when he kills the Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew slave and has to flee to Midian. Some people will say it's, it's actually Moses when he leads the people out of Egypt, but chronologically, we'll come to that later. It seems to be this point in his life when you read that story in Genesis, it doesn't really paint Moses as like a big hero. <laughs> in fact, it says that what happens is, again, as a result of, you see Moses deciding in that moment, identifying with the t- struggles, the persecution that comes following Christ, instead of with the, the treasure and the wealth of Egypt. And in, from that defining moment, send him on a trajectory. And so here... After this decision, after this after this has been built up by God's grace in his heart, now he sees this taking place, and he sees an Egyptian who is beating nearly to death a Hebrew slave. And he jumps into action to defend this Hebrew slave. And it doesn't really seem like it's an accident. He kills this Egyptian as he defends the Hebrew slave. And the next day or two, he begins to realize... You know, he hid the body, but he's not really getting away with it. Rumor's starting to spread like Moses did this. It says that he, actually says he feared the king and he fled to Midian. Yet here we see by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So again, what, what are we learning by this? What are we learning about faith? And then finally, verse 28, ending our passage, by faith. Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. God's final judgment here on the Egyptian people who mistreating and won't let the Hebrew children go. And as God has worked in the heart of Pharaoh and hardened his heart in order that he might display his glory as king of kings and lord of lords over Egypt, over his people as he prepares to lead them out. This final plague, this, this final judgment that the oldest son from each household is going to be wiped out. God makes a way. God makes a way of escape through a sacrifice, through the blood of a lamb. That lamb is sacrificed and blood is painted on the doorpost. The promise of God is that whoever is in the household that is covered with that blood, when the destroyer, the angel, passes over that is going to kill the son, it will pass over. That household and will not kill the son. By faith, Moses believed it, communicated it, taught it to the people. So you see this last act of faith. Alright. Again, like I said, this is sermon set up a little differently. Now just four observations I want to make from this. I guess first. Can you think of stories in the Old Testament that you would include rather than some of these when talking about faith? Like, by faith, Sarah had the power to conceive. Remember, she like laughed about it when God said it. We're taught, like, these are people more like us than we realize. They're not Bible characters unrelated that we just are trying to be like. How is God faithful in performing his promises being true to his word in the lives of his people. And how do they, through some ugliness, through some real great moments as well, die in faith, live a life of faith, believing? All right, so just four observations. What is required of us? What is faith going to look like? What can we expect living this life of faith? Number one, the life of faith is complex. The life of faith is complex, it is not an easy guide. There is no easy guide to living and dying in faith. To have faith does not simply just make all decisions easy and things become very clear in your mind. I mean, you think Abraham on his three-day journey with his son? Do you think his soul is not overwhelmed as he's marching with his son? You think his mind, as it comes near and near, anything? You know, it is starting to seem like accurate. Isaac is actually the sacrifice. And yes, God is able to raise him from the dead, but you think his mind's not racing for other possibilities of... Isaac's blessing of Jacob and Esau? I mean, that's a really messy situation. Yet, somehow through it, Jacob believed the promises even in the midst of... of, Moments of disobedience, even in the midst of, of deception and favoritism and some messy things. He believed the promises and God accomplished those things. Moses made his decision to throw his lot in with the Hebrew nation. The next thing you know, he's killed this Egyptian. <laughs> now he's fleeing. A life of faith. I even thought, okay, they mentioned Joseph and Moses. And think about the similarities of their life. Both of them end up providentially in the palace of Egypt. Both of them have opportunity for success and wealth and leadership and treasure. I mean, they're both put in these unique places. And here you have Joseph who lives his whole life there in the wealth in the treasure, in the beauty of the palace of Egypt. And in the end of his life, he is honored by faith. you, You look at that and you see the Lord working his will. But then you have Moses now, same opportunity, in the palace, same fairly similar situation, and yet Moses decides, I want none of it. I'll go suffer with the... Hebrew children. Totally different decisions in similar situations, both by faith. I mean, is there one right and one wrong? I say all that just that faith is, living a life of faith is complex. It's, if you're expecting to come out of Hebrews and be like, Boom, one, two, three, four, you do these things, and now life is just simplified. You now know the will of God. It's easy to follow it, and, you know, it's just, we've ripped all the complexities off. Just have faith, and everything is going to be simple. That's not how it operates in the Bible. That's not how it's communicated to us from Hebrews chapter 11. That's why Paul so often prays the people of God might be filled with wisdom, spiritual insight. That's why he prays that we might grow in understanding. that We might know the peace of God that passes all understanding. I think often one of the questions as a pastor you receive the most is questions about the will of God. Can you help someone find the will of God? What's, what's that next step for them? And there's a a thought out there that if you, know, if you just have the right faith, if, if God would just you have faith, God will just give you this sign and then it's going to be clear and it's going to be simple and you'll go and you'll do it. It's not that easy. Every once in a while, God does clearly move and direct in that way. Most of the time, it's more complex to that. And the life of faith keeps believing the promises even in the midst of the complexity of it all. Don't grow overwhelmed and frustrated and give up because you think my faith must not be quite right because I still don't have it all figured out. This is still really difficult for me. I still don't know what's happening in six months from now. What is my plan? You see that it is complex. Living a life of faith is complex, but there are some things that are not complex about it, and that is drawing near, holding fast, and considering others. Drawing near through the means that God has provided. Word, sacrament, prayer, fellowship. Don't ignore those. Don't try to pursue a life of faith, a way to simplify things and somehow think that faith just exists as some nebulous thing you're out after. Faith is a response to God's revelation. God has revealed himself in the Word as he ministers to us through the cup through the bread, through fellowship with one another. And then hold fast. Surround yourself with people who will watch. Be faithful. Put yourself in a place where the Word of God can speak into your heart and to your life. Hold fast to what you have believed. Keep watch, as Hebrews tells us again and again. And then consider others. In the midst of the complexity of faith, don't turn inward and become so self-absorbed with, oh, what am I going to do? And you become frozen. What's the response of faith? We learn in Hebrews 10 is to consider others, to study them, to know how can I help this person? How can I stir this person up to love and to good works? Some things that aren't complex, the means that God gives us to live the life of faith. But it's not just as simple as if you believe enough you wouldn't have gotten sick if if you pray for someone you have just the right faith and they won't get sick and if if you go to church every week then God's going to let you know what your next step should be whether that's whatever that step is I'm about to become a teenager where do I go to college who am I going to marry am I going to have kids should I buy the house should we move well, that one is simple. Don't move. you got to stay in Pittsburgh. I'm coming to Redeemer. So that's not complex. But beyond that, it is complex. Don't grow frustrated in it. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Living the life of faith, living that complexity. Secondly, the life of faith rests in the sovereignty of God. Things I don't think are going to be brand new to you and overwhelm you. But I think getting a better perspective of what this life look, looks like and what's required of us is helpful, very helpful. The life of faith rests in the sovereignty of God. I mean, you look at Abraham, and believing that God might raise his son from the dead. Isaac, we are looked at in all the confusion and deficiency. He believes, okay, this is going against every cultural norm. This is going against every instinct in my own, but I'm going to bless the younger son, even though it happened in this weird way, trusting the sovereignty of God. Joseph trusted that God would be true to his promise. I mean, Joseph spends his whole life in slavery, and God providentially then moves him into this place of power. He's still in Egypt when he dies, still awaiting, believing God's going to bring him and the children of Israel to a land, to a land that he has promised he gives instructions, bring me with you, and you go. Moses' parents, I mean, do you, resting in the sovereignty of God when they hide this child, I'm sure every time that child cried in those first three months, overcome with, oh, I hope no one hears, I hope no one finds out. Then you read how they put this child in the, the basket, set him off in this watery area. They don't know what's going to happen. Resting in the sovereignty of God. So we see the life of faith rests in the sovereignty of God. And a couple of subpoints under that: one, again, it's in response to His Word, response to the promises, to who God reveals Himself to be. It's not a Sarah raw type of life. It rests in the promises of God, how God has revealed Himself. Life of faith rests in the sovereignty of God, even in impossible situations there are times in your life when what you're called to do just doesn't make sense. Times when you have faith, when the desire of your heart seems to not be happening. You think of Abraham and Sarah, that's an impossible situation. God brought about a child for them. You know what, if God hadn't brought about a child for them, it could still be an incredibly hard and impossible situation you rest in the sovereignty of God as He cares and He leads and He directs as He sees fit. A life of faith that rests in the sovereignty of God causes us to take risks. We see that in all of these people's lives. Faith very often moves in the opposite direction of security. Not always, it's not like just because something's harder means you're supposed to do it, but very often moves in the opposite direction of security. Even the idea of when you consider others and you invest great time and energy and care and love in someone, you risk, you open yourself up to really being hurt, to being let down. When you get involved with someone who is hurting, again considering others. And just I'm going there with them. In the midst of the ugliness and the pain, the hurt, I'm going them with them, risking that vulnerability. Main faithful where God has placed you, even when it makes no financial sense. You know, how does the long-term planning make any sense right now? What caused you not just to scrap everything you think the Lord is doing in your life to pursue just more financial security, pursue more future security, relational security, whatever it might be? Faith and sovereignty of God causes us to take these risks in life. To engage in your neighbor with the gospel, that's a risk. <laughs> a couple of things it doesn't mean. A life of faith that rests in the sovereignty of God doesn't mean the faith will bring clarity to every situation. Again, the idea of complexity. You just, again, look at the lives... That, there is always confusion and uncertainty and what is happening and why. And resting in the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that you'll now totally understand and feel comfortable with every situation. Don't expect that. And then finally, faith, sovereignty of God. It doesn't mean that we should avoid planning and strategizing. I read an interesting comment on the kind of someone questioning this idea of Moses' parents acting in faith, that if they didn't fear the king, then why did they hide Moses, that idea? What sort of faith is there? It says they didn't fear the king's edict, but why did they hide Moses? And faith and sovereignty of God doesn't, like, knock out realism, planning or strategizing. as the idea of, you know, having faith. Think of it this way. You have faith to go on a mission trip to Africa and serve in some way. But if you get, like, all kinds of inoculations and you take care and you don't go after dark and you do some specific things, it doesn't mean you don't have faith. It just means you're, you know, not an idiot. I think sometimes there can be this, you know, idea that our lack of of planning or strategizing or if there's any planning and strategizing you're not trusting the sovereignty of God you know having a plan how to evangelize isn't a bad idea it doesn't mean you don't trust that God is sovereign in the saving of souls whatever it might be Uh, but again just a a look at what we learn about faith all right number three third observation the life of faith is ruled by God fear not man fear, or fear of God, not fear of man. Throughout, you see a couple times where people acted because they didn't fear the king. They didn't fear the king's edict. I don't think this doesn't have the idea of, like, they're just people who are, like, totally above feeling anxiety or feeling... I mean, do you think Moses' parents, there wasn't some sense in which they were scared every time that kid cried? And they 're trying to hide them, or when they put that kid out in the Moses in the basket and send him floating out that they're not overwhelmed in their heart and their soul, but ultimately they fear God over fearing man. the fear of man is such a, a crippling effect on the life of faith. It can shape the way we Our values shape our perception, shape the decisions we make in the world around us if we fear man or we fear God more. It can shape the way you parent if you fear God more than you fear man. And finally, the fourth observation. The life of faith treasures the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of men. And this is pretty much our message from last week, but reset here in verses 24 through 26. Let's read it together again. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward I think we all would say, like, that would be our decision. But how does your life reflect that decision? I mean, I think there should be noticeable things in your calendar, in your checkbook, in your attention and affections that would indicate that you treasure things of heaven more than the things of earth. You know, just saying it is simple. But is there any sort of of indication and planning and looking in your life that shows, yeah, my life and my values are shaped that way, actually? I think of it, we're having a child in a couple months. I always tease, I'm now an expert on parenting. It'll be my first. So, you know, I get it all right all the time, and you guys don't. So, no, just kidding. Um, But how you parent. Would you rather your kids suffer affliction with the people of Christ, or is it more important to you that they have every opportunity and every advancement and they get to enjoy every, everything that's available to them now, you want to make it available to them? I think that's even harder when you think remove it from yourself and think for someone else. How, how do you parent? Do you parent in such a way that child belongs to God? parent them in such a way that they treasure Christ and they would choose affliction with the people of God over the treasures of this earth. But they look at mom and dad and they think, yeah that's more important to my parents and our family is identifying with the people of God pursuing Christ even if it means difficulty taking risks and it might not always make complete sense, and we might die without complete financial stability, and we might die without every relationship just how we want it, but we die in faith, looking for the promise, looking for the reward. Life of faith treasures the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of faith, not the kingdom of men, sorry. We see that Moses' faith endures, these people's faith endures to the end. Again, I I know it's a bit of a a different type of message or challenge, but we sometimes get this weird idea that faith is, you know, if we could just be like Moses, then we'd have this great faith, and the complexities of life, everything would just simplify for us. That's not the promise. You'll be, unless the Lord comes, you'll be awaiting the promise of God. You'll die waiting for it, looking for it, longing for it. And your life might be smooth sailing. Your life might be full of confusion, anxiety, and not knowing exactly what's around the bend and not realizing what you thought maybe were some of your dreams and goals here on earth. The life of faith calls you to keep believing the promises and treasuring the kingdom to come more than this kingdom here. Treasuring and fearing God more than fearing man. Let your values be dictated that way. We talk about God and His sovereignty. We talk about faith. We Look at these people and we're reminded that you can't just <laughs> you can't just flatten out the story of the Bible, that there's a a one, two, three step process for everybody. You're going to face different challenges and difficulties and your emotions are going to be real and raw and God is going to work and form and shape in different ways in your life than someone else's. But here's what we all have the same. We all have a God who is faithful. A God who is faithful to his promises. Our call is to believe those promises. Let's have a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we can learn from it.